Stand with me for a word of prayer. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning and welcome to Christ the King, especially if you are family or friend who's a guest this morning, perhaps in town for Thanksgiving. I hope that you all had a chance to gather with family and friends to feast and hopefully to give thanks, to pause and express your gratitude to God this week. One of the things that Mimi and I have been most grateful for this year, apart from our six-month-old daughter, is for this church, for Christ the King, and not just because it is Christ the King Sunday. We close out our church series this morning and listen to these words from Paul from the beginning of his letter to the Corinthian church. He says, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. I thank my God for you. The, uh, the better translation of the Greek, at least for the Southerners among us, is y'all, or even all y'all. This is the plural you. I thank my God for you. Or if you're from New England like me, I thank my God for you guys. I hope that our series on the church has been an encouraging chance to reflect on the goodness of God's church, its place in God's plan, its message, its foundation, its leadership. Today we're going to take a look at the church's community. This past week there were a couple of studies that grabbed my attention. One was a Gallup poll that cited that our trust in public institutions is at an all-time low, perhaps not surprising to you. The second study, interestingly done by an insurance company, noted a loneliness epidemic, saying that most Americans report feeling lonely, left out, and not known. Interesting verbiage for an insurance company. The study went on to say that things that bring American neighbors together the most are shared meals, celebrating holidays or milestones, or gathering for neighborhood events. Now, I don't mean to be too self-congratulatory, but I think that the church has something to offer here. Think about the way that we gather for a communal meal at the rail in communion, the ways that we have small groups that meet in homes, oftentimes over meals, the ways we celebrate milestones. We've had baptism and confirmation and the reception of new members into this church family. Think about the community events that we try to offer our neighbors, concerts, 5K, fall festival. We know that in our world it's easy to be loosely connected and easily distracted. And so this compelling vision of the church is meant to address the needs that our world experiences, those that we experience. We should recognize that we have a tendency to division, dividing along lines of lesser importance. We have a tendency to isolation, oftentimes finding ourselves lonely and playing the comparison game. And I think we have a tendency towards insulation, buffering ourselves with comfortable things and with like-minded people. But the problem is that when we are insulated, isolated, or divided, it's difficult to truly understand one another, to find unity, to understand the different roles that we can play in God's church and in God's plan. And that was just the problem for the church in Corinth. Division, 
a lack of unity. Looking back at our passage in Corinthians, which is printed in your leaflet, you'll see that Paul noted that there was jealousy and strife among the people. They were divided, even following different teachers in a self-righteous way. Now, I'm sure the irony isn't lost on you that people might be self-righteous about the soundbite messages of those that they follow or who the people who follow them. And Twitter aside, Paul's comment is essentially, well, aren't you just being human? As if to say, knock it off. Don't practice or fall into the trap of the cult of personality. This is what everyone does. He even goes so far, I have a new appreciation for this perhaps insult, he says that they're being babies. Now, our daughter Molly is six months old. We've just recently tried to start her on solid foods. It goes like this. The spoon, bzzz, ah, and that face. It doesn't go especially well. She'll take a few bites, and it's quite comical. Eventually, she rejects the spoon, which is a real bummer because she doesn't know how good solid food is. And eventually, after a few minutes, she spits up half of the food that she has just eaten. She's not quite there yet. She's not quite ready for it. Paul says it's basically the same problem with the Corinthian church. The problem is, is that he wants them to experience God's vision for a united church, but they can't get past the division and the baby steps of their faith to start enjoying and doing the real work of being a united church. Okay, so if these are our problems and our tendencies, what's the better vision that God gives us? Looking at our passage in in Corinthians, the passage ends on an encouraging note, and Paul gives us a vision of a united church, a church that I think we should want to be a part of. He gives us three images in verse 9 of collectiveness. He says that we are God's fellow workers, co-workers in the work of cultivating, but we're not just planters, we are also God's field, and we are God's building. Three images, all of which emphasize collectiveness. See, as co-workers with God, some plant, some water, but God brings the growth. We have different roles, but one purpose. Verse 8 says that he who plants and he who waters are one. The second image of a field. Now, we might look around and say, well, gosh, it seems like we got a lot of different crops in here we feel a little bit different from those even seated with us in the pews. We might see that some people look like they're in a season of growth and we feel like we are lying fallow, waiting. But though we experience different types of growth, we have one purpose, to bear fruit and growth that God brings. Lastly, the image of God's building, which Robbie preached on a couple of weeks ago. Again, we may be different parts of the building. We may be built with different valuable materials, but we are built on the same foundation, that of Jesus Christ. You may be familiar with C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce. It opens with a scene of a town, and not just any town, a town that is dismal, gray, and raining, a place where quarrels are constant, Cooperation and camaraderie are non-existent, 
and people are constantly moving, literally driving out into the countryside further and further away from each other, choosing to live in solitude. Notably, this illustration of hell that Lewis provides puts the spotlight on a people who are focused on me, myself, and I. But notice the difference in verse 9 of the pronouns used in Paul's illustrations. We are God's fellow workers. You, by which I mean y'all, are God's field. Y'all are God's building. They're all plural. Paul's point is that we are to be united collectively. So what makes us a unified church family? What makes Christ the King a united church body? There's three things that I want us to turn our attention to that I think should direct our thinking about the church community. Corporate worship, community relationships, and collective impact. First, corporate worship. We're going to sing a song in a moment during communion, the first line of which reads, we gather together. We gather to praise the God who gives growth, who blesses, who encourages us. Worship has a way of reorienting not just me as an individual and transforming my heart, but it actually has a way of transforming us as a people. It's powerful. It's more than just a collection of individuals. That is why when the choir leads us from up front, it isn't individuals singing notes, it isn't an occasional solo with a spotlight, but it's some of us inviting us to join our voices with theirs. See, in order to have collective worship, we need us. I know that's poor grammar, my mother would be disappointed, but the point is that I need you to show up in the pews. You need me to show up, usually in the pews and occasionally up here. We need each other. Without us, without you, we aren't indeed gathering together. So I want you to think about how you can be more a part of us, and it might simply mean showing up. It might also mean taking a look at your calendar. Each week, I think this is Mimi's favorite part of the weekend, we get out our calendars and we get this little whiteboard, which seems antiquated for me and my iPhone, and we chart out all of our little events of the week to make sure that it reflects our priorities and to make sure that we have time together as a family. It's fairly easy for us right now, but I know since Thanksgiving just happened that the logistics get harder the bigger your family gets. For us, we just returned from Thanksgiving with Mimi's family down in Georgia, and in order for us to convene for a few days, it had to be on the calendar for months. My mother-in-law rented a house so that we could all gather under one roof. Eight adults, two babies, one toddler. This was not show up in your Sunday best type of Thanksgiving. This was roll out of bed with your messy hair and try and figure out whose kid is crying. Some of you are nodding. You know. See, we're meant to gather together under one roof. Yes, the analogy is fitting that we happen to be in a rented home ourselves this morning. But the point is, imagine if we just got together on holidays. Imagine if we just saw our family at Christmas and Easter 
and expected the relationships to grow as if by magic in between, without speaking, without seeing each other, pretty unlikely. Gathering together regularly is important, and so it is with church. Showing up matters because it unites us around a single purpose, that of worshiping God. And it also builds our relationships. It takes effort, but it's worth it. The same is true about these community relationships. Our church ought to know one another. Our church ought to support each other, to serve each other. Now, there's a theological reason why we pass the peace to each other in the Anglican service, but a side benefit is that it gives you an opportunity to perhaps shake the hand and maybe introduce yourself to someone that you don't know or you don't know well. Now, I recognize that we aren't all alike. We may not have the same natural dispositions. We might sometimes feel like the characters in The Breakfast Club that Reverend Glade mentioned a couple weeks ago, a group of different people, perhaps seemingly fitting in different categories. But the point in the movie, as in my point here, is that we do have something that brings us together. But it takes the work of developing those common bonds. It takes effort, it takes time, it takes being intentional. Now, I'm aware that here in this area, we see a lot of people come and go. It oftentimes seems that we have one foot in and one foot out. A lot of people are waiting for their next assignment that might transfer them away. But in this church, I've been really impressed in particular by two couples who in the last couple of years moved to the area and knowing that their time here wasn't indefinite, they jumped in and got connected very quickly. I watched them introduce themselves to a lot of people, sometimes awkward introductions when they realized that the person they were introducing themselves had been here for a long time. I watched them join small groups. I watched them start serving as if they were helping out with the family chores when they'd just come in the door. I watched them get involved with the children's ministry because they thought that would be a great way to get to know the other parents of the kids that their kids were playing with. I watched them volunteer as an usher with hosting and with women's ministry. When I asked one of them about their jump right in attitude, he told me that having moved a few times on military assignments, they wanted to make the most of their time and saw their time as precious. I was impressed that to them, jumping right in wasn't an optional extra and that serving was actually a great way to meet others in the church. It also gives you something to do together and makes that perhaps awkward initial conversation a bit easier. And in turn, as they got to know people, I saw supportive relationships grow up. And we all need those supportive relationships because life is hard. We face dark and difficult times in the normal rhythms of life. I know that Mimi and I have several friends right now who are going through some difficult situations. You likely can think of friends or yourself, times that you've gone through difficult health or family situations, times of grief, times when you could use the larger support of the church. And it makes us particularly sad when we see that happen to friends who don't have the benefit or blessing of a large network of friends in a church that they might have. See, a church is meant to support each other, to provide meals, prayers, to share, to serve, like a family. 
and hopefully one that is a little more functional than dysfunctional. Some of you might be familiar with the Harry Potter series and the character Albus Dumbledore, headmaster of Hogwarts. In a particularly dark and difficult time, he offers these words to the students at the school and his colleagues. He says, we are only as strong as we are united, as weak as we are divided. Speaking about their enemy, he says, the enemy's gift for spreading discord and enmity is very great. We can only fight it by showing an equally strong bond of friendship and trust. Differences of habit and language are nothing if our aims are identical and our hearts are open. If you don't have strong bonds of friendship and trust here in this church or for visitors at, at a church uh, or at your, your, the place that you live, or if you're new here, I encourage you to seek those out. They're important. They matter. Yes, they take time and effort, but they are a great place to start. In this church, small groups are one way that you might get connected, whether it's a co-ed group, a men's group, a women's group, a mom's group, youth group. The point is, you should be investing in others, that they would get to know you and you would get to know them. See, I think the basis for small groups actually comes from the early days of the church. The mostly Jewish church would meet in the synagogue and they would read the scriptures and have times of teaching, and then they would bring those scriptures into their homes for times of further teaching and fellowship. Their collective worship flowed into these natural community relationships. And the result of this was that they had a collective impact that was greater than that of individuals. You're likely familiar with the Greek storyteller Aesop and his fables. One of my favorites is the one that he tells about a lion who is stalking four oxen in a field. Every time he would try to attack, the oxen would turn outward, their tails in the middle and their horns out, and when the lion tried to attack, all he faced was horns. Eventually, as the fable continues, the oxen start to quarrel. I love picturing that. It's like a, a the grass is greener type of argument, I'm sure. And they all go off, each to their own corner of the field. And predictably, when the lion attacks, he picks them off one by one. Aesop's summary, a catchphrase that we have heard a lot, I'm sure, united we stand, divided we fall. I've heard it said, not least from our pastor seated behind me, that our faith is personal, but it's not individual. Meaning that we are to live out our faith corporately, together. It isn't just to be me showing up at church by myself, me having a, a quiet time, just Jesus and I in the Bible. We are meant to express our faith together. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We must not be divided. We must be united. We know the saying, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. The same is certainly true for the church. But a church that is united can do far more than just stand. See, I think God has a unique way of multiplying our impact when we work together. Mimi, my calculus teaching wife, might correct me on this, but I think God does funny exponential math 
when we gather. He multiplies in, in odd ways the impact that we have. I got an email reflection from a friend this week who wrote, the church of Jesus must take a lead in healing our society's sicknesses from media to medical treatments to definitions of life and death to what it means to be a healthy human being. Jesus didn't go to the cross just so we could go to church. And I think he has a point. The point isn't just for us to show up and be in the same space for an hour, maybe an hour and 20 minutes if the preacher goes long. The point is, is that we're called to make a collective impact, to go out into the world to do the work that he's given us to do, to show the love of Christ to a world that needs him. In our gospel reading, we find Jesus praying to the Lord, saying, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He is praying that we would be united and that we would share that love with the world around us. The missional message of the gospel makes it clear that insulation isn't an option. And Paul's call, his use of these collective images, makes it clear that isolation isn't an option for us either. Instead, we should be united, immersed in our world, and engaging with the needs around us. Now, to me, that feels like an intimidating mission, especially if I try to go it alone. And obviously, that's why we need each other. It's hard work to actually have an impact on the world around us, especially by ourselves. Think about our recent uh, 5K that we put on with Casa Chiralagua. Now, if Aaron Padilla, who coordinated it, was just by himself, that would have been an impossible task. He, he might suggest that it was a nearly impossible task anyways. But working together, the impact is greater. I'm sure if you asked Anne that organizing the concerts that we do to, to benefit our community is not an easy task. But when we show up together, it not only has a greater impact, I think it's a lot more fun. See, God has a vision for us that is quite compelling in a world where people can be distracted, separated, and divided. It's a vision that invites us to be God's fellow workers, trusting that God will bring the growth. And in our world, which is often marked by isolation and insulation, that's the vision that God gives us in his word. We offer the inspiration of corporate worship, the intentionality of community relationships, and the collective impact of people working together with God. And that's what the world needs. That's what we need. And that's what we should want for ourselves, for our church, and for the world.